All right, if you've, if you've got a Bible, let's open it to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah 1. We are starting a new sermon series this morning uh, where over the next six weeks, we are going to follow along together the story of one man, Jonah. As through the most unlikely of circumstances, he discovers the compassion and grace of God. Now, Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament who we actually know very little about. He's mentioned in only one other verse in the rest of the Old Testament. We get just enough from it to know that he lived sometime in the 8th century BC, where he was a prophet to Israel, the, the northern kingdom, after God's people split in two. But we actually don't really need to know a whole lot about Jonah to get the big picture. God comes to Jonah in chapter 1 and calls him to extend God's hand of compassion and grace to Nineveh, a city that was at the heart of the Assyrian Empire, who were some of the most heartless, vicious, violent people in the history of the world. And some of the most hated people for the Israelites. And so Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do that. In fact, Jonah doesn't just say no. Jonah runs as far from God as he possibly can. And as he does, we get all these wild stories from it. You know, the, the book is actually the genre of it. It's a satire. It's a comedy. As, as one person said, the whole thing kind of reads like a Saturday Night Live skit. You know, we watch as through, you know, everything from a hurricane to a giant whale to a tiny little plant, Jonah is laughably clueless as to what's going on. And yet the comedy of errors that is Jonah is all to put the spotlight on the story's main character. Not Jonah. God. See, by the time we get to chapter 4, we realize this whole book is about the compassion and grace of God. And it's actually not an invitation every week to kind of roll our eyes and pick apart Jonah, who an idiot. No, it's an invitation for us to contemplate the compassionate character of God that affects every person in this story, from a failed prophet to godless sailors to a violent city to even us. So why study this book this summer? Well, what does our culture say we need to thrive today? What are the things we value? Savvy, smarts, hustle, creativity, power, compassion, grace? Not even on the list. In fact, not only do they not even get an honorable mention at the bottom, 
We are in a culture right now that is actively trying to form us into the opposite of that. We are in a culture right now where we are more skeptical, we are more polarized, we are more at odds with our neighbors, maybe even with people we come to church with every week than we can ever remember. A culture where the thought of showing compassion and grace to the them, whoever that is to us, someone who thinks different than us, who votes different than us, who identifies different than us, seems even more difficult to comprehend than a grown man spending three nights in the belly of a fish. And this is not just American culture. This is the church in our problem, too. You know, the author Anne Rice, several years ago, said that Christians have lost credibility in America as people who know how to love. That is, the people who should be most eager, most ready to show and share God's compassion and grace as Christians, we have lost the plot. And this is why we need Jonah this summer. Because it's in this book that that we are pursued by the God who never stops chasing down needy people with his compassion and grace. Most of all, Bible-toting believers like Jonah. So follow as I read Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3. And let's contemplate the compassionate and gracious character of God together. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to that great city Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And then after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Running. How do we all feel when I say that word? Running. For some of us, it's a hobby. For others of us, it's a chore. You know, for some of us, we, we get life out of it. We can't wait for the next run. For others of us, like me, we feel like we're dying as it's happening. We can't wait for it to be over. Jonah is a runner. He's a long-distance runner. Only Jonah's not running for fun. Jonah is running for his life. The word of God comes to him in chapter 1, and God moves towards him. Jonah runs away from him. God sends him one way, Jonah goes the other way. God says, Assyria, Jonah books a ticket to the ends of the earth. And we're not so different from him. You know, somewhere this morning, we we have our shoes laced up. We are on the run. Somewhere we have have booked that one-way ticket to Tarshish. Because we feel like God is asking us more than we want or can give. 
You see, Jonah isn't just a story about a prophet always on the run. It's a story about humanity always on the run. And the God who never stops chasing us down in Jesus. And so what we need this morning is the pursuing grace of God to get one step ahead of us, just like it did Jonah. And so to do that, we're going to look at three things in these opening verses. What we run from, where we run to, and how we get pursued. So first, what we run from. Uh, Jonah, the prophet, starts out in verse 1 by getting a, a ordinary calling. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's how virtually every prophet in the Old Testament gets called. The word of the Lord came into fill-in-the-blank name. It is an ordinary calling in verse 1. By verse 2, it's an unthinkable calling. God tells Jonah, go. There's even this sense of urgency in the Hebrew. Get up and go immediately to that great city, Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh was the center. You kind of think of it maybe in modern terms as the, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Who are some of the most brutal, bloodthirsty people that, that we have ever known? In fact, one historian says that Assyrian history is as gory and blood-curdling a history as we know. I mean, if they were here today, we, we'd liken them to the Nazis. We'd call them a terrorist state. They weren't, they weren't nice people. They were the people that Jonah most feared. They were the people that Jonah most hated. See, Jonah, as I said, he's, he's only mentioned in one other verse in the Old Testament. And we don't get much there, but we can pick out one thing. Jonah... He was a patriot. Jonah loved his people. He loved Israel. When, when, when other prophets like Amos and Hosea were, were prophesying against the leaders of Israel at that time for their, their corruption, their hypocrisy, their sin, in 2 Kings 14, Jonah says, guys, I got good news. We are going to expand this kingdom we're going to make it greater than it ever was before. And so God comes in verse 1 and tells Jonah the patriot to get up and go right away to Nineveh. To your hated enemy who has been harassing you, who has been intimidating you for decades. It's an unthinkable job not just because of where God's sending him, but because of why God's sending him. God tells Jonah to go and preach against Nineveh because he says their wickedness has come up before him. Now we hear that and we think, about time. God is going to drop the hammer on him. Jonah, wake up! Why wouldn't you want to be a part of this? Jonah has read his Bible way too much for that. See, Jonah knows who God is. Jonah grew up reading Exodus 34. God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. 
You see, Jonah knows that while God is, he is not a sentimentalist, God doesn't just shrug off sin and evil. Jonah knows that God sending him to Nineveh with a warning was actually an invitation for Nineveh to experience the forgiveness and kindness of God. It was the rescuing love of God reaching out to Nineveh and trying to woo them to himself. And Jonah couldn't handle that. See, Jonah was not afraid of failure. He was afraid of success. It would cost Jonah too much. It would cost him too much to be involved with God doing good to these people who have done so much evil to Israel. And so Jonah, Jonah runs. He runs from God's word because it's asking him more than he wants to give. You know, we run from God's word when it starts asking us more than we want to give. And we forget that in the gospel, he's given us already more than we could ever ask. You know, if you're a Christian, at at some point, God will call you to a Nineveh. You know, maybe not somebody on this scale, but at some point, like Jonah, God's word will call you to share and show his compassion and grace to someone you can't possibly imagine getting it. Someone you don't think deserves it. Someone with maybe a a different take on abortion or, or who gets to marry who. Someone from a different race or culture. Someone, someone who's caused you emotional or physical harm, someone who's hurt you, someone who's wounded you, who's left you, who's marked you. And it feels like a death inside. You know, maybe there's a person right now that comes to mind. Maybe they've hurt you so much that even like Jonah with Nineveh, you think, God, I, I would rather die then see them come alive to the welcoming heart of God. That the thought of them not only experiencing God's grace, but you being a part of that, that is is asking way more than you want to give. I know how that feels. See, when we see ourselves as, as fellow runners doesn't excuse Jonah's sin, but we can start to have some empathy for it. Because the word of God comes to us with difficult people and difficult relationships. And like Jonah, we want to run. So what we run from, second, where we run to. One of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. And uh, even if you haven't seen it, you probably know this scene. There's this, uh, this kind of montage in the movie where he says, one day I decided to run for no particular reason. And so I got up and I ran to the end of the road and then I decided I was going to run to the end of the town. And then I decided I was going to run across Greenbow County. And then I decided I was going to run across the state of Alabama. And he 
keeps running and running and running for over three years. And he goes to one ocean and then he goes to another ocean. And he's got, he's got the t-shirt with the mud and the smiley face and the big beard. And he doesn't say a word the whole time until he finally gets to as, as far away as you possibly can from Alabama. He's in Maine. And if you probably, you've seen the movie, remember this scene. Suddenly he stops running and everybody kind of like looks around. Oh, is he going to talk? Is he going to say something? And he says, I think I'm going to go home now. Jonah, Jonah tries to run even farther than Alabama to Maine. And unlike Forrest Gump, Jonah has no plans of coming home. Verse three says, but, the, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And so he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah doesn't even stop to think. He went down, he paid, he found, he boarded, he sailed. He was gone. You see, his problem ultimately wasn't with the job he's been asked to do. It was with the person who's asked him to do that job. Twice the verse says that Jonah's running. He's got his bags packed, his house on the market, his mail forwarded, because he wants to get away from the presence of God. And where he's running to tells us why. Jonah is on the run to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish, in one sense, was far, incredibly far. In fact, Jonah couldn't have really picked a place farther than that. Tarshish was probably a port city on the southwestern part of Spain. And for the Israelites during that time, the other side of the Mediterranean Ocean was considered the ends of the world. It's as far as you could get. Jonah is trying to put as much distance between himself and God as possible. See, Jonah knows as long as he stays in Israel, as long as he is in God's place with God's people, he will have to keep hearing God's word. But not in Tarshish. No, there nobody even knows God's name and finally he'll leave me alone. See, it's not just that God's word was asking more than Jonah wants to give, but that Jonah can't trust the God who's behind the word. You know, when when God calls us to a Nineveh, when he calls us to be his hand of extending compassion and grace to people who, who we think, who deserve anything but that, we want to lace up our shoes and run. We, we, we want to go to Tarshish. We want to get away from God. We don't, we don't want to hear him talk about this anymore. We want to avoid the thought. We don't, we don't want to open up to other people here at church about how we're wrestling with this, how hard this is, how we, how we don't want to do this. We want to be left alone because we, we can't trust anymore that God could really also have our good in mind as well. But Tarshish just wasn't far. It was also imaginary. Jonah had never been to Tarshish. What does he know what it's like there? 
Jonah has never watched a Netflix show about people who live in Tarshish. He's never met someone who relocated from Tarshish to Israel for work. Jonah, Jonah has no clue about what this place would be like. It is this idealized, fictional place in his head where he thought what he needed that God wasn't giving him, it would finally be there. You know, in Tarshish, Jonah's probably thinking, if I could just get there, everything would be better. Haven't we all booked a ticket to Tarshish? You know, some imaginary person or place or relationship we wish we could escape to when offering compassion and grace to difficult, to hurtful people seems too costly. When we don't trust that God has our good in mind, when we don't think it could possibly bring us life, it just feels like dying. It just feels like giving up everything. Now your marriage feels stuck. You feel hurt. You feel unseen, not pursued. And the thought of, of showing your husband, your wife, grace, you think that'll, that'll never work. I'll just end up getting more hurt, more disappointed. They'll have the power. It, they'll be in control. They'll have the upper hand. I just need that person who really gets me. Maybe that person even has a name. That person who, who will be more attuned with me, who will have better physical intimacy with me. I just, I just need to get away to Tarshish. Maybe it's people that you do life with. You're talking with them and you think, I can't believe what they just said about the road decision. I, I can't believe that thing they just said about the Jalen Walker shooting. Com compassion and grace, we, we are beyond that. That is not going to work here. I'm just going to end up looking weak. I'm going to look like a fool. I just got to get a new job. I got to move to a new neighborhood. I gotta move to a new part of the country. I gotta get someplace where they aren't there. You know, some of us, we, we've bought a second home in Tarshish, thinking that's where I'll finally get what I need. It's an illusion. Please believe me. Only in the gospel do we receive from a good and gracious Father the hope, the healing, and the happiness that we need in Jesus. Not in Tarshish. So what we run from, where we run to, lastly, how we get pursued. Good news! Jonah's foolishness, unbelief, and sin can't thwart God's plans of compassion and grace, not just for Nineveh, but for Jonah. No, God is in wild pursuit of his son Jonah, and he is in wild pursuit of you this morning. The key verb in the whole first half of this book actually shows up twice in verse 3. It's the Hebrew verb yarad means to go down. The, the whole first half of this book is the physical and spiritual descent of Jonah. It says Jonah goes down to Joppa. And when he gets to Joppa, he goes down into the boats. And when he gets into the boat, he goes 
down below deck. And then after God in chapter two hurls a great hurricane on the boat, Jonah goes down below the sea. He goes down, he goes down, he goes down, he goes down. Down from the presence of the Lord. Who has more ways of pursuing Jonah than Jonah has of running from God? Who pursues him with a storm, with sailors, with a fish, and eventually in the fullness of time with his son, with Jesus, who God wildly pursues us with, who God is wildly pursuing us with in Jesus descending lower and lower and lower and lower than we thought he ever would for us who went down to become a human, who went down to a life of suffering, who descended down into a disgraceful death, who went down to the place of the dead, all to extend to you the hand of God's compassion and grace. See, Jonah is a book about Jesus. Because Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jonah shrugged off God's calling, thinking only of himself. Jesus fulfilled God's calling, thinking only of you. Jonah disobeyed because he thought, this will cost me too much. Jesus obeyed, knowing it would cost him everything. Jonah was, was afraid he might die. Jesus knew he would die. Jonah couldn't stand the thought of his enemies getting grace. Jesus couldn't live with the thought of his enemies not getting grace. Jonah thought that there's no way, God, that you could send me such an awful people. They've, they've harassed us. They've cheated us. They've killed us. Jesus in Acts 1 sends his apostles first to Jerusalem. What just happened 40 days before that in Jerusalem? Those same people harassed, cheated, and killed Jesus. And he says, don't wait. I want you to go first to them with the good news of my compassion and grace. See, Jonah ran to Tarshish, but in the gospel, Jesus pursued us to Golgotha. We're just like Jonah paid the immense cost for a, a likely year-long trip to Tarshish so his neighbors wouldn't come alive to God's compassion and grace. Jesus paid the even more immense cost on the cross so that you could come alive to God's compassion and grace. See, this is God's wild pursuit of runners like you and me of people who came in this morning like me with our shoes laced up somewhere in our lives. This is the love of God that, that won't stop pursuing Jonah. And in the gospel, he will not stop pursuing you. No matter how far you've run, no matter how far out to sea you are, no matter how much you're wandering, you're running, your foolishness, your sin is taking you to Tarshish. Much to our surprise, in the gospel, we find out that like Jonah, 
The God who is in wild pursuit of us has been one step ahead of us the whole time. Ready to meet us there, not with a, I told you so. Or a, man, you blew it. And I had such high hopes for you. No, ready to meet us there with his pursuing compassion in Jesus that never stops coming after you because God is wild about you. And we are all like Jonah. God's word comes to us and it asks us more than we want to give. But in the gospel, we see that God has already given us more than we could ever ask. He's given us his very self. He has given us his nonstop compassion and grace, pursuing us today to just stay present with him when we want to run. When our hearts hear the tales of Tarshish, when moving toward that person, loving them, wanting good for difficult people, showing and sharing his compassion of grace, it feels like it'll cost us too much. God has given us himself pursuing us this morning to say, stay present with me. This is the good news of Jonah 1. When we want to lace up our shoes and run, in the gospel, Jesus will never stop coming after us with his pursuing compassion. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are not so unlike Jonah. We can have a world of empathy for him. There are people in our lives who have hurt us, who have wronged us. There are people that we we disagree with about things that are important to us, about things that are important to you. And when you call us to show them compassion and grace, it feels like it's asking more than we want, more than we can give. Father, catch up to us this morning with not your pursuing apathy or indifference. No, you're pursuing compassion and grace. And help us to stay present with you when we run a run to Tarshish. Amen.